right, Dr. Kovacs. Let's go ahead and get started then. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Gallery Gap. I'm Dr. Claire Kovacs, Director of the Augustana Teaching Museum of Art. And I'm Melissa Moore, Director of Education at the Figgy Art Museum. We're happy that you're back. Yeah. Thanks for joining us again. This week, we're going to be talking about the Gorilla Girls. And in order to do that, we should take a step back and talk about their visit to Augustana's campus in January. But before we do that, I wanted to, or we wanted to talk about how lucky we feel to work at institutions that allow us to examine complex issues of gender, race, and really the spaces of inequity that exist in collection and exhibition practices. Right. Not only nationally and internationally, but allowing us to do this in our in our own spaces. These are important conversations to be having, and we can't have these conversations unless we start to look in the mirror ourselves. Exactly. So this should be an exciting episode. We certainly feel that way and hope you will by the end of it. Let's go ahead and dig in. So Claire, January was an exciting month. January was a very busy month, but it started earlier than that. Um, so so the Gorilla Girls came in, in, uh, to Augustana's campus and to the Quad Cities community in, in January. But this idea started earlier. It was just the seed of an idea. I, as the director of the Art Museum, try to think about ways that I can connect our exhibitions and programming to programs and departments across campus and try to think about ways that we can engage with contemporary issues through the visual arts. And this year was the 30th anniversary of Women and Gender Studies at Augustana, which is an important anniversary to celebrate. And as I was trying to conceptualize ways that we could celebrate this through the Art Museum and partner with Women and Gender Studies at the Art Museum I started thinking about who who would be my my big ask. Who, if I could pick anyone that I wanted to to come into Augustana's galleries and show their work and engage with the campus, who would that be? And for me, that was the Gorilla Girls. And the reason for that is that the Gorilla Girls, while they don't have the same trajectory as Augustana's Women and Gender Studies program, they have been working for thirty one years now. And so I wanted to bring in a group whose who's been living and working in the same historical moment as the trajectory of women and gender studies. We partnered up with Quad City Arts and decided to bring the Guerrilla Girls not only to do a, a lecture and talk about their work, but also to do a series of workshops, because for me it's always important to bring it back to the local. This is why it's important in the gallery gap to start from the local as we look out to the, the broader world. I think the relevancy of of that exercise is so important. I mean, it's not like you're just bringing in an artist, I almost said plopping down an artist, right. and then, you know, they, they're here and then they leave. You were able to create these workshops, so they really had legs. Right, right. And, and, and to continue those conversations beyond the time that the Gorilla Girls were here, which brings me to the other part of how this project evolved. In conversations with Frida Kahlo of the Gorilla Girls, we were talking about how it's important not only to have students that are here at this moment experience and talk about and engage with the Gorilla Girls, but how could we carry this conversation on? And that developed into us purchasing the the portfolio complete of the Gorilla Girls' work from 1985 to 2012. So we now have that in our collections. I worked with community partners to make that happen. And that was the, the the focus of our exhibition. And, and again, what a great way to celebrate 30 years of wonder, women and gender studies yes. at Augustana. Um, so the Gorilla Girls, I, I'm guessing that people who haven't heard of them have an interesting image in their minds right now. They're not entirely incorrect. Right. Right. And, so and, why don't you 
<laughs> maybe fill us in a little bit on who, the who. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is also a good moment to remind people that they can go to the webpage on WVIK, whether you're listening on WVIK's webpage or if you're listening to us through an iTunes subscription. If you go to our webpage, you can see some images of the Gorilla Girls themselves and also some of the work that that, uh, that they created. So we'll do our best to talk about it and give you a visual image in your mind. But if you're curious to see some pictures head that direction but that's that's just my little pitch um and no, that's good and in fact if you've already listened to episode one and uh we're dissatisfied with how i described rose franson's artwork portrait of a coconut we've added those images yes, to yes, the web page yes, too so uh, just in case yeah but getting back to the gorilla girls um so they so th- so our, our listeners may have a a I'm not sure what image if you're not familiar with the gorilla girls you might have in your mind um it might align i i don't yeah, but maybe not for the reasons that you would expect. Right, so why so, don't you start back in the beginning? Okay. So 1984. Yep. So in 1984, there was a proverbial seed planted. There was an exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art, which is a major modern art museum in, in New York City and one of the major museums in the United States. And there was an exhibition called the International Survey of Painting and Sculpture, And what that exhibition was doing was thinking about contemporary art at that moment internationally, painting and sculpture, and inviting artists in. So there were 169 artists in that exhibition. So this is sizable. Yes, yes, yes. And and the curator there said, any artist not in this exhibition should re-examine his career, which, 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 caused some people to start thinking about, wait, hold on a second, who is actually in this exhibition? And so there were 169 artists chosen. All of those artists were white, and less than 10% of them were women. Now, this is ostensibly supposed to be a international survey of painting and sculpture. So you can imagine that there were some people, as as you reacted just now, of, uh, <laughs> that reacted in a similar way. So we, we began to see uh, protests outside of MoMA. In in the 80s, would you say, I'm kind of taking us in a different direction for a minute, in the 80s, would you say that this was a normal exhibition? Like, it, it, it was not out of the blue. No, like no. People I, didn't, there was not already this established idea that we would be inclusive. Right. So it, it's not as if that, that's a good point. So the, the International Survey of Painting and Sculpture was not isolated there in, its, um, in, its, uh, in its context of being all white and less than 10% women. So many artists who realized their voices weren't in that conversation began protesting. One of the things that came out of those protests actually happened a year later in April. We In New York City, in Soho, in the East Village, we began to see black and white posters showing up on the, on the streets. They were very simple, and they had a list of 42 names of male artists and asked the question, what do these artists have in common? And then the answer to that was, and this was all on the poster, they allow their work to be shown in galleries that show no more than 10% women artists. And the poster was signed, The Gorilla Girls, colon, Conscience of the Art World. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So so the Gorilla Girls did another poster after this that was similar in theme, and a press release came out promising... More to come, warning, quote, simple facts will be spelled out and obvious conclusions will be drawn. I mean, this is a bold statement. Both of those 
are bold. So I have to imagine, I mean, even if we made that statement today, and we do, um, there's a response. I can only imagine in the 1980s that hit pretty hard. Yes. So this, this was, this was, um, the, there were people that wanted to talk to the Gorilla Girls at this point in time. And I, I should, I should say at this point in time that Gorilla Girls is spelled Gorilla, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, as in Gorilla Warfare. They were, they were working anonymously, coming out and, and putting these posters up in the city without attaching their names to them. And so then the Gorilla Girls were faced with a, a bit of a quandary here because they wanted to continue to engage and people wanted to talk to them in person. But how did they maintain that anonymity? At this point in time, these were women artists who were trying to create their own work and trying to engage with these very institutions that they were trying to critique. And as young artists, they realized that maybe they should try to think about ways to maintain their anonymity. And thankfully, <laughs> one of the uh, the members of the Gorilla Girls at the time... Did what I did when I first heard of them. <laughs> right. Which was, was, while they were taking notes in a meeting, um, they they didn't really think about spelling and, and spelled it G-O-R-I-L-L-A. That is how you spell Gorilla, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just making sure that I'm not making the same mistake. <laughs> As in the animal, um, but this was actually a happy accident for them. It 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 got the rest of or the, or the group together thinking, and they said, "Hey, this is a good way to solve things. Let's buy some gorilla masks." And so they donned gorilla masks, adopted the persona of women artists that they wanted to amplify the voices of and the memory of, maintained their anonymity, and then. St- went to that press conference and then that was the beginning of their their public persona in addition to their posters and this was as i said just the very beginning of 30 years of action that has 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 grown to eviscerate structural racism sexism and inequality in all its forms across the globe and in that also empowering women artists and artists of color to make visible what is often invisible or amplify the voices. So, um, you know, some some important work. Oh, I absolutely. Say. And I I know that I, w- I really want to know more about how the art world and I'm doing air quotes here uh, <laughs> responded to this. But first, I I just have to ask. <laughs> so, assuming you're not a gorilla girl, or maybe you are, and you already have a name, like I wonder what name you would take on. Oh, like me? what persona? Yeah, yeah. You don't have to answer now, but maybe we we yeah. think about that. Yeah, our... I feel like answering now would just be something off the cuff. Yeah, it would. Uh, I'm going to think about it too. But I, you know. but I, th- I mean, and, and I think that 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 process at that moment in time was important because in the nineteen in the 1980s and in the early 1980s when they were trying to figure out who their identities were, how do they maintain this anonymity? It was not about who reflected who they were as artists, but more who were artists that they appreciated and wanted to make sure that those those names there was a legacy and that there. work. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, no, I agree with that. So that'll be our homework. Yes. And uh, same is true for our <laughs> listeners. But let's talk about the response to, like the public response to what the Guerrilla Girls were doing in these early years, um, like with the Public Art Fund. So yeah, so the I would say that probably if you're familiar with the Guerrilla Girls at all, you are probably familiar with the project that came out of an early partnership with the Public Art Fund in 1989. They, the Public Art Fund in New York had had 
had approached the Gorilla Girls to create their first large-scale work. It was meant to be part of a billboard public art program in New York City. It was going to be a billboard in Manhattan. And so as the Gorilla Girls were working as a collective to come up with ideas about what what should this work look like, what was what were they going to address, they decided to um, conduct what they are now calling their first weenie count at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Weenie count. Weenie <laughs> count. <laughs> and so weenie count, what what the heck is that? It is exactly, as, as Melissa is getting excited about, what, uh, where your brain went. Uh, they, they examined the number of m- women and men artists in the, uh, the modern galleries at the Met, as well as the number of male and female nudes on display in the galleries. So they did this count. And they decided to create a poster to help share with the world what um, what the gender balance was. And, I mean, interesting statistics, yeah, right? Who yeah. wouldn't want to share that, right? And yeah. and um and you would you would hope that those those statistics you would think and hope and pray and pray that those those <laughs> statistics were pretty even, you know, getting close to fifty fifty. But as you can imagine, from that uh, that first catalyst of that exhibition. The reality is is a little bit different. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So their final work, which they they presented to the Public Art Fund, was a a, a bright yellow poster um, with a a work that, for those that maybe are familiar with art history, might recognize a borrowing, a quotation from. It's Ang's Grand Odalisque. Um, this is a, a nude woman who's sort of languidly stretching out across the left-hand side of the composition. Uh, she has a very elongated spine. Her head is turned in looking over her shoulder. She's holding a fan in, in, her, uh, in her, her right hand. And They've taken some liberties with Ang's Grand Odalisque. They've they've given her a gorilla mask uh, to connect, and then and then next to to the right of of Grand Odalisque, we see black and pink text that says that asks the question. It's very bold text, and it's asking an equally bold question: Do women have to be naked to get into the Met Museum? That's fantastic. <laughs> And then they proceeded to share the results of their survey. And here are the results from 1989. Women made up only 5% of the artists in the modern galleries and 85% of the nudes throughout the museum. We'll let that sit for a minute. Yeah. Just digest that. So 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 5% of the artists in the modern galleries at the Met were women and 85% of the nudes throughout the museum were women. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But the public art fund. Oh, yeah, yeah. How'd that go? Uh, <laughs> they actually rejected the design. Um, oh. they, they don't say exactly why, um, but the Gorilla Girls went out on a limb, and I think that this is a reasonable limb to go out on, um, that the public art fund was a little concerned about taking on a major cultural institution like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is probably one of the major historical encyclopedic museums in the world. I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, even though they didn't, they weren't thrilled by this, the image has, I mean, we still have the image. It's become iconic. Right. Nevertheless, they persisted. Maybe that's a a way to... to... (laughs) 
<laughs> to describe what they did. Um, undaunted. <laughs> they rented spaces on the sides of buses in New York City. Um, but after a short period that didn't last very long, the uh, Metropolitan Transit Authority canceled their lease. They noted that the image was, quote, too suggestive. Now, I mentioned this is a nude woman. You see her from the back, but but there is some strategically placed... Like, her bits are covered. Yes. It's not that you're seeing the bits. Yes. But it's it's like is... it's It's likely because um, they said that the, the, the fan in the Odalis' hand was uh, a little too suggestive. Um, I guess one of the things that the Gorilla Girls did was make that fan hot pink. Um, and I think that... Uh, I think where the Metropolitan Transit Authority was going with this is that it, that it ended up lo- looking in their eyes not as much like a fan and more like a sex toy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, so yeah, so they, they canceled it. Um, still, uh-huh. still persisting. They, they created posters, smaller scale, going back to, to, to work that, that, that they, they know and, and they can get out there even if they only last a little bit of time and put those on the streets of New York City. And that work has earned them a cult following and actually has been revisited again at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, two more times after that, in 2005 and in 2012. So additional weenie counts. Yes, additional weenie counts at the Metropolitan. Just little updates. Yep. Um, And over that course of 30 years, you'd hope we'd moved. Like up in one area and down in the other, right? Yeah, that's the the goal. Up in more women artists. Up in more women and down in the number of nude. More parity parity between um, uh, nude representations. But um, not not really the case. In 2012, women artists made up only 4%. Wait, we went down? Yep, um, of artists in the Met's Modern Galleries. But we did, I I believe, go down in um, and get towards more parity in the number of nudes throughout the museum because we've got to 76%, which is, yes, lower than the 85. So some strides, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's amazing that, again, that we're able to have these conversations and really reflect on our own museums and where we are. Uh, and also that the Augustana Teaching Museum of Art was able to collect works by the Gorilla Girls for the 30th. Um, yeah, yeah. And really as part of, you know, is reframing the way that you have your collections policy, yes, your acquisitions yes, policy. Yes, yes. So when you um, you brought them to campus, mm-hmm. you porch- purchased the portfolio complete. Yep. We exhibited their their selections from from the portfolio, but I cut you off. No, no, no. I'm, I'm batting it back. Oh, you're batting it back. <laughs> <laughs> this is you're the, setting me up for I, for, I, um, for a little bit of reflection here. Maybe we it, can start to do our own weenie counts. Absolutely. Um, mine makes me sad, but yeah. Why don't you start? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go first. Well, okay. Well. <laughs> so so really, I mean, I know we've probably said this before, but really. It ha- the Gorilla Girls' purchase of this portfolio, their presence on campus, the conversations that I've had with, with Frida has really catalyzed our conversations about why this podcast is important, why it's important for us to be actively thinking about these issues in our own spaces, not just in the larger world, thinking about the local as well as the international and all of those spaces in between. And so... It would be disingenuous of me to sit here and talk about balance in other spaces without 
giving a hard look at my my own galleries. Right. I feel the same way. And luckily we have the I mean it's not like we're criticizing and then running away. Right. Or, I mean, you know, we need to it. we can't change anything unless we 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 look it in the eye right. and face it. So this it. is the starting point. This yes. is day 1. Yes. So <laughs> at day 1 where so, are we at? Yeah, where where are we? We'll start with Atma and then go to the Figgy. And again, this is just a really it's kind of exciting. Um to reflect on where we are with our own collections and then talk about what we can do given the parameters that exist Mm -hmm. in order to make things more equal. Right. So we'll start maybe with our permanent collections and then we'll reflect and then talk about our exhibitions and programming. Sounds like I feel like that's, these are both important spaces where we need to think about parity, not just in gender, but as we continue these conversations in, in the gallery gap, thinking about the other voices Mm -hmm. that that can be left out. So really fast for those of you who um, don't know the museum lingo, permanent collection is the stuff that we own. Yes. And (laughs) exhibitions, uh, special exhibitions. um, Those are the things that we've brought into our museums. Either we own them and have arranged them to focus on a theme or we're borrowing them from other institutions. Mm-hmm. So it is a, a nice way to balance out maybe any um, gaps that you have within your own collections by looking at what other museums have and then, of course, sharing with them what you have in exchange right, in some right. cases. And, so. and working with artists to bring in Absolutely. work as well. So the, there's a number of different ways that those those happen. Uh, and, and we can have a little bit of a talk about why it's important to be engaging in these practices both in our permanent collections and in our exhibitions mm-hmm. and programming. But first, the permanent collections. Yes. So – as you had mentioned in the first episode, the Augustana Teaching Museum of Art's works exist in a variety of spaces across campus. So we have what we call our permanent collection gallery, and that is a space in our Centennial Hall galleries that is curated on a yearly basis. So we change it out completely every year with input from the entire Augustana faculty. And the purpose of this gallery is not necessarily to engage with some sort of theme, but to augment coursework that's happening at Augustana, augment the curriculum at that's Augustana. That's a great resource for yeah. your, your yeah. courses. So, it's, um, so I wanted to start with that. Um, where are we at in that gallery? And the gallery contains a number of examples of artists that we will be talking about and featuring in this podcast in this first round as we as we think about the the, the women artists in our collections. We have the Gorilla Girls, Nampeo, Maria Sibylla Marion, as well as some Arpiatas, all that you'll hear about later. Um, hint, hint for upcoming episodes. But how do these works relate to the gallery space as a whole? I, we have these. I can point to them, but are 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 they tokens or do do, or do they do they fit within a larger framework what is our equity in the permanent collection gallery so we have 46 works on view 11 of them are created by women artists which puts us at about 23.9% that is actually not as bad as i thought and that's not a critique of your no. gallery it's just you you have a smaller collection on display mm-hmm. so t- almost 24% yeah. Created by women? Yes, but that's that's still not parity. No, no. We I still... think we'll give you like a C. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. But what about campus? So we also have works all over campus. Um, these are these are works that are that um, are in display cases, in offices, and hallways. We some of these spaces are intentionally curated. Some of them. And there's a lot of different ways that that works end up around campus, but they are also part of my collection. 
And we actually fare a little bit better campus-wide. Uh, we have 702 works on display throughout Augustana's campus, and 208 of them, or 29.63%. So not that much better, but we're getting closer yeah, to I a think third the, the instead sheer of a quarter. mass, too, we're talking about over 200 works. We fare much better on campus because of our olson Brandel collection of North American Indian art. Uh, that, that collection, which we'll talk about a little bit more in an upcoming episode, has a large number of women artists. I would say that the majority of the artists in that collection are actually women artists. And, and part of our, our collection agreement is that 51% of those works are on display at all times. So, so in many ways, that is really strongly contributing to this presence of women on campus. And I would say that that more than 50%, and I don't have these exact numbers in front of me, but more than 50% of the works that are on view across campus are part of that Olsen Brandel okay. collection. I think it's just phenomenal that you have such a presence on your campus, you know, that the art is yeah. everywhere, really. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, big, it's a big job and, and a big responsibility, but it's essential for our students hey, to see work. You got this. Yeah. You're so. on it. <laughs> well, but let's talk about I was going to say, let's... we, you know, with recent acquisitions like the, the piece or the installation I mentioned last time, Portrait of Makokata by Rose Franson, mm-hmm. um, our collections have been slowly increasing their representation by women artists. Still, it's hard for us to know exactly how many of the artists in our collection, and we have about 4,000 pieces, are by women. This is because we're slowly turning over our database. So we have been able to pull as much as we can. And our guesstimate in terms of what we collect, now this is not display, but collect, is that about 5% of our permanent collection. Sorry. Uh, Go ahead. Made by women. Um <laughs> And just to give a little bit of history on on our collection, you you mentioned um, kind of some of the stipulations you have with yours. Our collection began with a donation to the city of Davenport in 1925 Mm -hmm. by Charles August Fickey, um, who was a former mayor, and he really felt that we should have a a municipal gallery. Mm -hmm. And so he made that initial donation. And from that time until 2013, that collection has grown to the nearly 4,000 pieces that we have today. When we made the break from the city in 2013, it became a 501c3. Mm-hmm. We continued to collect and we continue to house the artwork for the city of Davenport. So now we are the Figgy Art Museum named for um, the Figgy Family Foundation. But we still, and we have the pieces that we've collected, including Portrait of Makokata since 2013, and we're in our new building downtown, but we also are housing the City of Davenport collection. So just to clarify, when I talk about our permanent collection, I am talking about both of those right, groups right, of artworks. Which I think is important. To, I think so, right. too. So, so how, now... <laughs> how, what does it look like in the galleries? Oh, What's your weenie count look like? Okay. So our permanent collection makes up um, probably about a third... Of our of our exhibition spaces, mm-hmm. we do have a lot of gallery space that's dedicated to those traveling exhibitions. So, of the works that are on display that we own, um, we have 118 of them. Mm-hmm. Of those 118 artworks, I don't know. I mean, do you want to take a guess of how many were created by women right now? Well, you 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 gave me a percentage in terms of your permanent collection, so so, so there guess- could be a couple of directions that 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 one goes. Um. Well, okay. So only six are by women. Out of 118 artworks, six are by women. Mm -hmm. This is 5%. Mm -hmm. As... (laughs) 
And I was shocked when yeah. I saw this. And yeah. actually, uh, our board president was in the galleries when I was conducting the count. And we were both kind of like, ah. But then we started talking through this. Um, it's true. I mean, we are actually, we are exhibiting proportionately what we have right. in our collections. Right. But what we're trying to do and we've been doing this for a number of years, is to find spaces to make up for this um, because we don't have the and cash flow. And be intentional in making up for this. We don't have the cash flow to go out and make major acquisitions right now. We just That's not where we are. And we are collecting, and we are being intentional about this collecting, uh, the uh, opportunities that we have for collecting new pieces and by diverse artists. In fact, I know that there is a painting by a contemporary woman artist that we're considering right now. But exhibitions seem to be a good opportunity for us, especially given how much space in our museum is dedicated to exhibiting. So, yes, 5% of the artwork that we own that is on display right now has been created by women artists. But I looked ahead to our summer exhibition schedule. Right. And... Well, before we get to that, oh, yeah. I, well, I just want to no, interrupt you for yeah, a second because yeah. I think that there is a, a nuance here that both of us need to acknowledge in terms of the difference between a permanent collection and an exhibition. So we need to talk about that. But what is, why is it, I think we need to address the answer of why is it important to collect? Why is it important to have a diverse representation in our permanent collection themselves? And for me at least, and then talk about this issue of how do we, how do we address that? It's important because that is a way that the museum is signaling that they're permanently investing in the voices of these these artists and i and i 100% hear you because i think that that as we talk about how do we how do we rectify this you know rectifying it in a way that is not tokenism because in some ways you know, buying one woman artist or as we move into and i'm not saying that either of our collections are doing this but trying to just fix this by checking a box is not the direction that that is is an appropriate and sustained way of trying to be more inclusive in our, in our in our um in our collecting practices so i just i wanted to pause there to to point out no i that nuance i'm glad yeah. that you did and I, I agree with you completely one thing that i didn't mention too and you you saying that reminded me that we don't just have these six artworks in one room or in one gallery. Right. <laughs> so luckily, as we're considering different eras or different movements in art, there are female or women represented in those galleries. Mm -hmm. So I do not, I feel like we're not just putting them in a, or checking off a box. Right, right. Yeah, no, and I think that so it's... So I, I am pleased with that result as right. I was, you know, going you don't through all of our galleries. It's not like a cluster. Gallery. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. like those, those boxes in the books that yeah. we talked yes. about. <laughs> I also think that when we have, when we collect artists who are diverse in a way um we're we're legitimizing those spaces for our audiences we're standing up and saying this is part of it like right. we, this is comprehensive and how we look at what what is being created or has been created by civilization right say it better than that though thanks for putting all the onus come on, on doctor <laughs> snap snap <laughs> well i i mean i think that one of the and 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 one of the things that we're talking around here is making sure that our that our works in our spaces and the conversations that those works are having represent our communities mm -hmm. and yeah. and and reflect our communities 
and rep- reflect the history of our communities. I mean, that is that is something that we need we need to think about. We talk about that in some of our installation of works across our campus in terms of, of balancing what is Augustana today and what was Augustana and how is that the same and where are the differences? Mm-hmm. I, I need to say, I love working for the Figgy Art Museum. I came to the Quad Cities for this job. I feel like we're lucky to live in a community that has not one but two art museums. Um, so when I say that I'm disappointed by the weaning count, what gives me hope are the conversations we have in in our exhibitions and programs meetings, the acquisitions committee meetings, and also when we when we look at what's going to be on the walls, for example, this summer. Mm-hmm. So of our massive amount of exhibition space, I did the percentage. Um, I actually did some math. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. College. Um, <laughs> and 83% of our special exhibition spaces will be de- dedicated to women artists this summer. So 83 percent that I can live with yeah Yeah. yeah. (laughs) well and 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 our conversations about where we where we can grow as institutions comes back to the whole reason again that we're doing this gallery gap it is Mm -hmm. not to rake Augustana or the figgy across the coals and shame on you we love our jobs yes but (laughs) but rather for us we need to look in the mirror and see what we're doing well and what we can improve on and this is this is always how can we have these conversations about inclusive spaces and engage with inclusive audiences if we're not thinking about how does our work and our galleries reflect that. And that's not something we can change overnight, but these conversations need to happen so we can keep moving in that direction. And I feel like you really hustled toward that direction this year in terms of your exhibitions on yes. campus. Well, I mean... and, I'm, and I'm really pleased that the first work that we purchased under my directorship has been the Gorilla Girls portfolio. We we really didn't have any work in our collections that directly addressed feminist issues. And so it was it was a selfishly a proud moment for me <laughs> for that to be the first the first work that and we brought. And yet so in. selfless. Look like look what you bring to campus. Well, these are gifts. Hop, 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 yes, <laughs> you you were faring better than the modern galleries at the Met. Yes. I would not say that we are consistently at mm-hmm. the Figgy, but we certainly are headed there. Right. And, and it's about intentionality and, yeah. and, and, and evolution. Yes. yes. Yeah, and reframing. Yeah. Reframing. So what we were thinking is that for our next episode, we would actually go to an artist, um, Allison Tsar, who lives and works out of California. We'd go to an artist who has a very powerful voice about her own intersectionality of different aspects of her identity and how she connects race, age, and gender to on a bigger level. Mm-hmm. And so we will be focusing on the artist Allison Tsar yeah. during our next episode. The Figgy has shown an exhibition of her work called Still. This was back in 2012. But in addition to that, we've recently acquired a piece by her for our permanent collection. And so this will offer us, again, this opportunity for continuing the conversation while focusing and featuring a different artist during this uh, during this podcast. Yeah, so join us next week. And thanks, listeners, for listening to us. Yeah, and thanks for your support, too, on Facebook and, and Twitter and stuff. Yeah. You guys are yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. We appreciate it. We, yes, we do. And so <laughs> and if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please, please do so via iTunes. And you can also – don't forget also to uh, – to check out the WVIK website.
couldn't be doing this project without WVIK, and specifically... Giant thanks to uh, Lacey Scarmana, Alfredo Monteca, and Jared. Yep, Jared Johnson. And also, um, a big thanks to Peterson Pate's Design, who is sponsoring this from the Figgy side. Thank you, Leanne. At all, you are phenomenal. Yes, yes. 